Why does he still exist? Just Robbie Mook. Yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah. Because we haven't done uh, Phil's idea of the black diamond train to hell that he was <laughs> yeah, discussing. Yeah, it's actually not my, my not my idea. That's uh, Reverend A. W. Nix. <laughs> one of his best sermons is like okay. all the different kinds of sinners going on the black diamond train to hell. And yeah. I'm sure that Robbie Mook, there's a, there's a space for him on the train. I, I was just thinking, I was thinking about it more as like a Lord of the Rings, sort of like traveling to Mount Doom and then throwing him back in the fire from whence he came. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like in Lord of the Rings where they just go to the elf island to die at the end because they can't die? So, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say that like the, we have, we have the longstanding tradition of condemning people to be abandoned on an ice flow but Maybe it's just that there's not enough ice anymore, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, that's, you know, a, that's a very good point. Robin so, uh, lives on to uh, potentially completely throw the... Uh, well, let's not let's not jinx ourselves. Well, this Who is why we need to combat climate change yeah. so that Artie, we can put people out to pasture on the ice floes. Yeah, sure. Fair. Artie, there's so many people who can throw this election. <laughs> Welcome to the Death Panel, the official podcast of defending digital democracy, the nonprofit overseeing your Iowa caucus results. Support the show. It's all pa- going to be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Support the show at patreon.com slash death panel pod. That's the company that like uh, Robbie Mook uh, co-founded. That yeah. That's the- new. Oh, no. But I mean, Vin, do you know about this actually? The Iowa caucus app thing? No. There's like, okay. So uh, at the Iowa caucuses. Uh, yeah. literally yeah. only mere days away from now, my God, they're like every, every, uh, caucus location will have a caucus manager, um, who will report the final results of the caucus, uh, of that local caucus on, uh, this app. The app is made by an unidentified, undisclosed, pub- publicly undisclosed developer. Oh my God. Um, but there is, they have, AKA but, don't worry about a thing. Right. But Iowa has, uh, has partnered with, uh, this, this company be mentioned, Robbie Mook's, uh, company, Robbie Mook and Harvard, uh, and some, one other person's like nonprofit, which, you know, considering how the last cycle went 2016, I mean, uh-huh. having someone from Hillary's campaign sounds like a great thing to have. Uh-huh. Uh, in charge yeah. of election security at Iowa, but I really trust them to handle data over there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, yeah, it's really it's one of these things that just reminds you, like an election is as much about the performance. It is as much about the like visual acute, like the ability of people to like see and trust what is going on. And totally. this whole like app thing is just like, oh my god, this is who had this idea? This is the well, worst idea. The thing that like also uh, irks me is that. They allowed this app for the reporting to go through and then they shut down um, the app that was going to allow disabled people to participate in the caucuses from home or people out of state. So they were like, fuck that app that's about voter enfranchisement. We're talking about data deliverance here. 
that's definitely worth the investment. Yeah. Making sure that more people can vote. Fuck that. Who needs it? Well, it's actually We've already got a process that's so inaccessible. Why add any yeah. reason for anyone to be able to do it easier? It, I mean, it's like highly convenient, right? When you well, if, uh, if you have, okay, let's like propose an app for disabled people to be able to vote uh, much easier and like, no, no, well, that's that's going to have like all these like election security problems. But an app for determining the actual final results you know, whatever, yeah. <laughs> just, just whatever. What are they worried about? A bunch of people are going to register as disabled voters when they're not really Iowa, but like, what the yeah. fuck? Vince is like registered as a disabled voter, but voting from New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, some people are like registered to vote in Iowa, but are like temporarily in other states, like if they're in no, college and those people can't submit like mail ballots for yeah. the primary. Well, I mean, they're so, a local. Right. That's why like they're a local <laughs> satellite ones. But you have happening. Right. Which will also be using this app. Right. But that also depends on you being near a satellite caucus. Right. Yeah. And that's not like a blanket thing. It's not like you, yeah. any post office in the United States counts as a satellite caucus space. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just so, love the hack. I just love the idea of like the hack being like you go to college and then you're like the one person to show up to like the Iowa caucus in like, so you're one delegate Hawaii. Yeah. And then you are one delegate. I nice. think, I think if I recall reading the rules, there's like something about how many physically people, like there's like a reconciliation of the delegates at the end. It's like, couldn't say for sure, but I guess speaking of Iowa, uh, today it's me, Artie, Phil and Vince. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about, about to ship Phil off to Iowa. Oh, yeah, yes. we're about to send Phil to Iowa. Are you ready, Phil? I'm. Uh, I'm ready. We Shauna just gave me the news that the uh, the weather is going to be good, um, <laughs> and so we are planning a. Uh, Shauna is, I should say, planning a like a sort of concert event uh, for all of the people who uh, like had gone out and done done all the hard work during the day. Uh, so yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of good vibes going into this weekend. So, uh, nice. let's just keep it up. And, uh, another exciting thing coming up is Medicare for all week. Yeah. Just wanna, to let's ooh. talk about that for a second before we get into the juicy pile of steaming, hot, horrible things yeah, that the episode will consist of. Let's not belabor this too long, but just to announce basically, yeah, um, we will probably the next time that you see us in the feed, actually, uh, Medicare for all week will have begun. Um, we have a full mm-hmm. week, uh, possibly plus of content coming your way, starting on, there'll be like a kind of intro teaser on, uh, Sunday and then like starting Monday, uh, the day of the Iowa caucuses, we'll have a bunch of, um, programming around Medicare for all mm-hmm. stuff to like, get you, get your like straight fu- through to New Hampshire. Right. The, and you know, again, the idea is like, it's, as we've said before, uh, shark week, but for healthcare, no matter how Iowa goes, uh, no matter how New Hampshire looks going in, even though New Hampshire now Bernie leads by some like insane amount, um, just like keep your mind off it and let's focus on the win. It's either going to be, it's either going to be like a really good way to take your mind off of the most stressful week of the primary, or it's going to be an awesome way to celebrate like the, compound your stress. Exactly. <laughs> well, or maybe like, or maybe like, depending on how Iowa goes, it'll be like a good, just sort of like uh, victory lap. It's right. a reminder right. of what really matters in the Christmas season. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, I described it. I was really tired this morning, uh, sitting in the waiting room at my neuroophthalmologist's office, and um, I described it to someone as, "Have you ever wanted to spend like seven days in a row with us?" 
<laughs> well, you can do that sort next of. week. Us <laughs> and they're like, hell yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a corporate retreat, but for healthcare on a podcast. Sure, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm done yeah, with yeah, the metaphors. Um, on deck, <clears throat> let's get into our first topic. How about that? Uh, we've got a lot of heavy shit this week. I think first up, we should get into some of the hellish things coming out of the Trump administration right now that have nothing to do with the impeachment other than the timing seems a little too convenient. So uh, we've got the impeachment going on, which is like pretty much all you'll hear right now about the Trump administration on the mainstream news. Uh, Meanwhile, all his little uh, goons are running around causing mayhem. Um, The Supreme Court uh, ruled, I think it was five to four, that they were going to block uh, an injunction on the public charge rule. Um, so that's allowed to be enforced. Which we'll get into. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. The Trump administration very, very disgustingly proposed some changes to Medicaid that would um, add. We'll be proposing on Thursday. So right, like, they're gonna. They're yes. Yeah, sorry. By the time you hear this, either in like Thursday morning or something, within hours they will have announced this. Yeah, and it is it is not good. And then on top of that, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you might remember that a couple months ago we were organizing people to leave comments opposing a rule change to how SNAP benefits are administered, which unfortunately looks like it is moving forward. But beyond that, what's happening right now is that states are sort of realizing that this is going to be a very serious problem. And I think it's a little interesting that it's all happening during the during the point where most pundits, all they can like glean to talk about is, oh, my God, I can't believe Mitch McConnell is not going to bring up the witness question. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Chocolate milk in the Senate or, you or know. Bernie and his uh. rapper that we like talked about at the end of the last episode remember that like there was you know reporters are like oh let's like write about everybody like and their food <laughs> which oh, you'll this only person know has- that we talked about if you got through the entire like hour and a half of us discussing that terrible netflix oh yeah show. become a patron but- listen to the goop episode <laughs> yeah. to get to the end so that you can I- I hear about it. bernie sanders it. and a yeah. rapper <laughs> but uh you know it's it's um they've got Basically, the best cover that they've been working with so far, plus the urgency of a possibly we're going to be out of power. I mean, this is the thing is that like, okay, so just think about the scale of this, right? You got Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be affected by what they're trying to do in Medicaid. You've got uh, uh, SNAP. Again, hundreds of thousands of people like can lose their benefits on this. You've got um, what they're trying to do, which we won't talk about today with SSDI. Uh, again, Again, just like. If you put all of these things together, it looks like the Reagan administration on acid. Uh, it is <laughs> mm-hmm. it is the the size of the damage that the Trump administration is going to do to the welfare state is something that like like they could only have dreamt about in the Reagan administration. And yet during the Reagan administration, you at least would see coverage of this stuff. This was like part of the media narrative, which is why in many ways the Reagan administration was much less successful than they might otherwise have been because there was like, there was in fact like backlash. Um, but this stuff is like, you got to go to like Politico pro to like who subs- who has Politico pro access. I don't. Not um, me. <laughs> You, you would know, think that we nobody, would. Nobody outside of the Beltway. Yeah. yeah, you have to go to, I think, like much more boutique media venues or like to the middle of this section in the paper to like read this stuff. But this is like in terms of what is actually going to like uh, happen to people's lives. This is this is really, really toxic and really damaging. And the I mean, they're just there are crimes being committed. There, there are laws being broken with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. All of this yeah. stuff, like, and and luckily, you know, the the attorney general of like 
uh, Washington, D.C. and New York's attorney general, like they filed uh, trying to get an injunction against the snap rule. Hopefully that will, you know, the D.C., you know, district court will uh, take that and there will be an injunction. I, there, there probably will be knowing the D.C. district. Uh, but like this is really you have to like take a step back and look at what's going on here. It's like, this is a dismantling of the welfare state. Absolutely. Yeah. And then on, on the other hand, like some parts of it are just absolutely, um, I don't know, like nakedly transparent, but then whether it's just because of uh, media coverage being kind of like siloed off or just people um, maybe, you know, it not being a priority attention thing during like, you know, the impeachment's happening. And then also like, you know, Iowa caucus uh, is on Monday, for example. Mm-hmm. So like right. there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of distraction happening, but even, like you know speaking of politico not in political pro but in uh in one of the uh you know in one of the first articles that came out about how sima verma is expected to on thursday basically announce new rules for changing medicaid to allow state block grants Mm -hmm. literally there is a quote in this article that has as far as i can tell gotten almost no scrutiny uh but just shows how completely mask off this process is i want to read this uh, the so the process is quote in flux as officials work to identify an alternative to the term block grant which has negative mm-hmm. connotations in the <laughs> advocacy community. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I wonder why. I mean, it's, and this is coming like just days after uh, Trump said uh, at Davos, "Oh yeah, like if I get reelected, like towards the end of the year, like I will uh, we'll cut, cut Medicare, Medicare and Social Security." Yeah. It's really easy because it's such a big percentage of spending. Mm. Oh my! I mean, I think it's worth maybe talking about like why the switch in funding is such a problem, right? So this this speech that's going to happen on Thursday. Thursday is going to propose a change that's going to allow states who were Medicaid expansion states, and correct me if I mess any of this up, Phil, it's going to allow them to apply for a waiver to block grant their Medicaid funding. Yes, and I should emphasize, it's not clear, I think, what's going to happen and later we'll correct do a correction if I'm wrong, but it's going to allow them to block grant funding for quote. And I use this with a heavy scare quote that you can't see <laughs> because this term is racist, able bodied oh, adults. Boy. Right. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so so the idea is that like it's like in part because I think they know that the most aggressive sort of interest group reaction on this comes from the disability community. Right. Um, mm-hmm. they As they saw in like 2017. Right. They explicitly sort of, they're like, we're going to deal with you guys a different way, but in order <laughs> to divide you people up because they know that that works, yeah. uh, they are focusing on so-called able-bodied uh, adults and they're going to allow them to uh, states to apply for a, you know, changing what is now an entitlement into right. a block grant. Should we go through how that works? Yeah, I would actually way? I would actually love for us to maybe break this down. So Phil, like let's get really basic. What is a block grant? So a a block grant, you want to think about it this way. Right now, Medicaid, Social Security, and Medicare, those are entitlement programs meaning if you are eligible, you and now this doesn't always happen because there are problems with applying the law, but you are legally, uh, states legally have to like give you, or the federal government legally has to give you those benefits if you're entitled to them. Okay. Right. So it doesn't matter if there's like a, a problem with they're like, Oh, we got to cut the budget this year. We have other things. You, 
They have to do it, right? So when there's a recession, Mm -hmm. entitlement programs respond to the recession. People take up those benefits. Why? Because states can't cut them in a recession. They are what they're Mm -hmm. called counter-cyclical. As the economy cycles one way, those programs counteract it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So a block grant is the opposite of that. They give a lump sum of money to the state for a year based on a certain number of people that they determine are in that state. And Mm -hmm. uh, they say, this is it. This is your, this is your lump sum. Doesn't matter if there's a huge financial crisis next year and a lot more people go into poverty. Doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if there's a, some kind of outbreak and, you know, people spend down their savings to like pay for, for care or something like that. It doesn't matter what happens. You get the same lump sum of money, which is why all block grant programs forever decline in funding mm-hmm. uh, over time. Right? They they're mm-hmm. not they're not stable. The, the well, other they're thing, not, they're also not. The, I mean, I, I think the 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 main point is like in theory, a, a block grant program, though it is woefully inadequate, you could you could like peg it to inflation or like consistently like reevaluate and and increase the amount of funding but republicans count on the fact that they will never right. do that. The other the other thing I should say is this is that like with a block grant what it does is it frees states from all of the regulations and right. quality controls that the federal government puts them on puts mm-hmm. on them in Medicaid and that includes all kinds of you know questions about like you, do the providers have the right kind of training or that, you know, all mm-hmm. of these federal protections just go away. Whoa. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Yes. So, Fuck. so again, like this is from a patient's perspective, this takes, you know, Medicaid programs in States that, you know, took the expansion say, you know, Ohio, for example, or, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, well, we didn't take the expansion in Wisconsin, but there was like a, some other kind of fix, but it basically takes these things that are, somewhat adapting to changes in like the economy and it Mm -hmm. completely kneecaps them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. I mean, we understand what a block grant is, right? Like what is, what do they say the reason they want block grants are like, what is the excuse for block grants that like money is more uh, flexible or free or States can choose their spending. Like what is the talking point usually used to like advocate for block grants? I think it's usually like a laboratory of democracy kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean the the really (laughs) funny thing, the really funny thing to me is like in the nineties when, when Medicaid block grants were like a big deal, they were nearly, that was nearly part of the big welfare reform. And then right. like Clinton ended up vetoing that. So, but like the big thing was that like states, you know, they want uh, freedom to I- innovate with things. It's like now the the arguments that they're making ring so much more hollow because we've been through that. Like that movie right. has played. People have seen that. Like everyone knows it's bullshit. And so now they have to like come up with some other way of you know, justifying it. And I truly don't know what is going to come out of Seema Verma's mouth tomorrow. Right. Uh, One thing to note is that like Paul Ryan turned out to be a waste of donors money because (laughs) the term he, the term he came up with, 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 for his PowerPoints was, um, uh, per capita caps, which just mm. really rolls off the tongue. Sounds right. great, right? So if uh, um, so Seema gets up there tomorrow, folks, and says uh, per capita caps, then you've got uh, dead in the water bingo. 
they couldn't figure yeah, it out. I right, guess. Yeah. So what she's call. she's she's calling she's calling it. We know this already. She's going to call this thing the healthy adult opportunity. Which oh when I first God. read it, I thought it was the healthy audit opportunity, which <laughs> would have been even better. It's even more Scientology. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, the healthy adult opportunity, which I I just you clear Phil. What? That's. <laughs> It's just like healthy adults have maybe an opportunity to stay alive through the end of this administration. Yeah. That's like <laughs> essentially, oh man, this is yeah, the healthy adult chuckaluck wheel. <laughs> healthy adults have the uh, opportunity to make the businesses even more healthy. Uh, by <laughs> all the regulations being rolled back. I mean, it does, it does. I, I have to say too, like in the same, in the same report, like it also notes that, uh, SEMA sees this as like SEMA has been apparently personally angling for a like in-person FaceTime presentation of this like a, like a getting up and like publicly presenting this because she sees it apparently allegedly mm-hmm. as a uh, career defining achievement potentially Um, which makes sense because it means that yes like like phil mentions cruelty knows no bounds but she would be she would be fulfilling the prophecy that paul ryan was unable to carry out he was the false prophet he's the antichrist uh, i don't know no but she's she's really risen right well she's really happy because after she after she does give the speech and and makes it happen she gets to go to wherever paul ryan is and stab him in the heart (laughs) sure i mean here's i have a prediction actually for sema uh, tomorrow. And so we, yeah. now our listeners will be able to see. My guess is that like Sema Sema has like her terrible minions read medical journals once in a while and they provide her like <laughs> sub undergraduate level summaries of them. And the thing that I've seen in a <laughs> Phil, that's sorry, Phil. That's only a joke. That's really cutting, coming from you. <laughs> Love your academic uh, digs. Yeah, no. <laughs> anyway. uh, so anyway, if you're listening, SEMA staffers, you suck. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I'm sorry. Well, I guess I should say your boss sucks. I'm sorry you have to work for. Um, no, they're all the, consultants. Yes, they're all consultants so, right. brought in. They're doing <laughs> for great. the most part, yeah. yeah, independent contractors. But my guess, what I see over and over again in these filings and and guidance and stuff is really hackneyed versions of like people who have read about the social determinants of health and they're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. this is like a thing that like the traditional system of medical care doesn't allow us to do. And so block grant blah, underwear gnomes, like social determinants of health. Like (laughs) that is what she's going to, I, I would bet a hundred dollars that that is what she's going to do. I totally. saw some speculation too that they were going to lean very heavy on um, good employment numbers and like talking about how strong the market is in order to sort of imply that like this is the right time for like yes. worker independence yeah. or I something mean, as fr- if it's like an inspiring uplifting like look at all these people making all this money. Frankly actually it almost seems like there is sort of uh, like a I don't know I guess like Trump doctrine of public policy or something forming because between uh, you know, it's interesting, Phil, that you mentioned that it's that uh, the Medicaid uh, block granting proposal is specifically targeted at the coverage of able-bodied people because it actually echoes a lot of the ways that the work requirements are pitched for the snap cuts. Yeah, that's they say true. Specifically for able-bodied people, they also say like, oh yeah, like Trump said in Davos, uh, quote, millions and millions of people don't need food stamps anymore. They have jobs. Yeah, uh, and actually, so. it's funny because the, the early applications for Medicaid work requirements, I remember reading from like Alabama and Kentucky and South Carolina, they mm-hmm. all talk about 
uh, the tight labor market. They all talk about like, there are so many jobs in our state, blah, blah, blah. And the, I mean, again, the thing is like most of the people that use these programs already work. That's the thing to remember. Most of the people who are on Medicaid already work. Um, they need it because they're, employer doesn't give them health insurance and they make, you know, a hundred percent of poverty or, or, or less. Right. Well, can, mm-hmm. can I, can I also make the point that like, and, and I'm not an academic, so maybe this is stupid, but when the labor market is really good and everybody has insurance through their employer, nobody spends any money on Medicaid. So then why would you need to cut it anyway? But again, this sort of like puts the lights, but the thing is the fact is like, there are, there are people on Medicaid rolls. Why? Because just because people have jobs doesn't mean they give the, those jobs, give them enough on which they right, can survive. Exactly. No, t- right. it's like a false especially equivalency, in, especially in this economy. No, totally. Yeah. Right. And, but, but what I'm saying is just that like their argument is completely undercut by the current like mechanism of the program, right? If the economy really was good in their state and everyone did have a job like Medicaid usage rates would go down no well no not and everybody had a job because, that, and everybody because, had a good job that had yeah yeah. Insurance. So, the, yeah so so like yeah if maybe if there were enough jobs in alabama that didn't require people to be in poverty to work them maybe right. we would maybe you know that wouldn't be the case but at the same time even those jobs that are paying you know above poverty uh you're, right. They're still not get people still don't have health insurance through them and they can't afford it through the exchanges. So Medicaid's there. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you and know, also this, like work is far from anything that we should be like advocating here as any sort of like result no, of this. Program. No, no. Yeah. So, but but they know. are. And that's like, that's more the point that I'm making. Yeah. But like fuck playing by their rules, whatever. If they, no, they should totally. play by our rules, as in like literally the one way, if you want to kick a bunch of people off Medicaid, like just do Medicare for all. So right. yeah, I mean, like put it on a different program. It's almost, well, the thing you is, can like, say you eliminated Medicaid and you know. <laughs> <laughs> Artie, we got rid of entitlement spending. Yeah. Artie, did you just figure out like the post uh, Trump Republican Party line? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think it's kind of actually funny because it's almost like the NCIL in like July told them the right way to do this and they listened when like the former president of the NCIL was outed for like giving this strategy that they were going to roll out on Democrats saying Democrats care more about immigrants than disabled people. Yeah. It's like the Trump administration saw that people on like the left and center uh, Democrats were upset. Right. And so they're like, great, we're going to do that for this. (laughs) And then, you know, but like NCIL won't come after us because they've admitted publicly what their priorities are. So as long as we give NCIL and sort of those, that sort of constituency, what they want. And I am talking about like lib disability Twitter, then they will shut up about it. To be fair, that guy stepped down. So I know, but I'm saying that strategy is not unique to NCIL. It's not a unique take that just that one guy had, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. fair to say that when you, when you target like the in enhancing divisions between groups, right. And you target like just making it so that like, you are, you know, uh, cutting. I, I mean, like, 
<clears throat> the the charity example that we talk about all the time where like uh you know a right. breast cancer charity or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. uh will lobby or be just like vocally in support of some legislation that like really fucks over a bunch of other disease uh specific groups uh but has like one carve out for cancer patients or mm-hmm. something right yeah like, exactly um you know it's well, that it's like that kind of mentality right but, and i think the other thing is it really does and this is again as if you didn't need any more reasons to support medicare for all <laughs> what these things do what they reveal is how fragmented and terrible the political economy of this world is because again retrenchers people trying to get rid of the welfare state they know that these different groups are activated on different issues that there's nothing that really binds them together there's yeah. nothing that they can mm-hmm. really have solidarity on and so you can pick them off you know the thing is the thing the mistake that the republicans made is they went too big too quickly and they that is not how you win as a as a retrenchment person you go slowly you pick people off one by one you know why because there's absolutely zero solidarity uh among these among these groups and uh that the one reason to support medicare for all is it is something that actually does the it inverts that political economy anyway Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah it's like they're just picking off the weak ones that's a fur they're going for the most healthy absolutely Speaking, yeah. actually speaking, as you were B of uh, what was of like uh, NCIL, well, dividing, well, of NCIL, but also just of like you know dividing, uh, you know, literally dividing non-citizens or immigrants as like right. as though they're a separate category of uh, person in the United States. Maybe we should talk about the public charge rule because, frankly, like I, when the Supreme Court decision got announced, like it just it like gutted me just like literally the rest of that entire day when it was announced i was just like yeah wilted so basically. we've talked about the public the proposed change to the public charge rule a couple of times i'm sure most people know about this but i do think this is like very important it's sort of worth going through again mm-hmm. yeah basically says you can't immigrate to the united states if you are likely to be poor right yeah exactly. <laughs> which is like and it, and it explicitly says like you'll become you know, if you are likely to become like a, you know, uh, 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 a the term public charge itself is like if you are likely to need any benefits at all. So it sort of applies the logic of the American state that it implicitly applies to people who are already citizens, which is that if you're poor, <laughs> you're worthless and your life doesn't mean anything. It applies mm-hmm. it explicitly to yes. uh, immigrants. Absolutely. Right. Um, so in August of 2019, we just want them to know what they're in for, though. <laughs> <laughs> in August of 2019, DHS defined public charge to uh, refer to any non-citizen who re- who receive any sort of government benefit um, for more than 12 months within a three-year period. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be consecutive. Or who are likely to. Right. And that's the other part. The rule also considers like... Uh, a bunch of random factors like age, employment history, and finances to determine if you could ever possibly become a public charge this in is the like, future. This is like fucking galaxy brain level means testing because I feel like yeah. you know, it's, it's one thing it's one thing to have people fill out a form that says uh, you know like how how much they're working to fulfill a work requirement or to show that they like have less assets or whatever. But this is like divining into the future based on I don't know. I'm assuming just a bunch of like. I don't know, like racist assumptions or something mm-hmm. that an uh, individual like immigration officer could just decide right. like whether I, you'd be a public charge or not. Most people I know with green cards are on Medicaid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like 
Right. Like, I don't know what they're we all a going public, to... a couple of public charges on this podcast. Right. I don't know what they're <laughs> all going to do. Like, if you are on a green card and you're on Medicaid, like, apply to get your citizenship if you can and find a job with healthcare right. if you can't. Like, because if this goes... Like, this is... Uh, this is essentially making it so that the only people who can come um, are incredibly wealthy or are coming on, um, you know, like talent visas to full time well, jobs yeah, or or are or basically have to like accept the bargain of, you know, like I can come and use some public services, but I will never be a citizen. I will never be enfranchised. I mean, I mentioned right. the other day right. uh, on a recent episode, like Starship Troopers. I mean, literally, right. this is Starship Troopers shit. Like sign up with totally. list in the military and you will earn your right to vote. Yeah, you'll be guaranteed it. Um, But and then so like, you know, choosing between that or just being like, well, what's the, you know, like the like the the old old dude meme or the old the picture of the old guy meme like guess i'll die right um <laughs> you know that's basically that's basically what we've got so i mean the uh, whole but the whole idea is that they're essentially trying to disincentivize people from coming here right yeah i mean that's and like, from using public services too right people right, which people, is already which is already, already a problem happening. even among people who have have naturalized and are and are immigrants said like it's that whole yeah like that fear of like interacting with the state and using public services that you are entitled to use uh, and that are there to help that fear lingers and it's so toxic and it is something that like like make no mistake these people believe to their core that the only people who are citizens in the united states are white yeah and a variety of other characteristics, but re and really though, just to just to no, actually, Phil, it's just white. It's pretty much just white. <laughs> uh, but just just to hammer that home, though, like, uh, but people are there are a bunch of stories out there. Like people are, uh, like a bunch of people are actively already mm -hmm. uh, disenrolling in Medicaid and SNAP and other programs that like would count as public charges literally as a like a chilling effect mm -hmm. uh, right. kind yeah. of thing so yeah i mean if you look uh, back at like the data from the last time a public charge rule was allowed to be implemented in our immigration policy is that like the chinese exclusion act or something well uh it was added <laughs> it was introduced in the chinese not not chinese exclusion <laughs> act but in the immigration act of Around 1882 which right, was yeah. following the exclusion act and the follow-up to it when they were like you can't just pick one Actually, it kind of sounds like a, the exact same political discussion we're having now. You can't just pick one group of people you don't want to come here. Like you, you have to say stopped enforcing a demographic it? term <laughs> or something. Do you know when we stopped enforcing it? Uh, not off the top of my head. I think after 1999. World War II. 1999. Yeah. And in 1992, half of people denied visas were denied because of the public charge rule. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And we only stopped in 1999. Yeah. Also, yeah, as we've spoken about on the podcast, too, also very famously, uh, one of the rules that kept a lot of uh, Jews from immigrating to the United mm -hmm. States fleeing uh, Nazi persecution. Mm -hmm. So We have um, used it to keep people out for as long as we've wanted to call someone an other in this yeah. country. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who you are. You're just not the white ruling class. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, so, I, yeah. I, th I think this is the thing is that like when when the Trump administration was first coming into office, there were all of these like 
uh, you know, hot takes by like various, you know, very astute political scientists and other people that were like, um, oh, well, no, but the business community, the business community doesn't support this, this sort of restrictionist, um, anti-immigrationist uh, agenda. And and then uh-huh. I think, I think that, you know, may, maybe some of them didn't, I'm not sure. They probably just supported second class citizenship for, you know, most, uh, <laughs> you know, most, but what, but I think there's this interesting, this, this convergence, right? Which is that the, uh, the classic sort of the Milton Friedman uh, conservative types, they realize that one of the most effective ways of gutting the welfare state, which they hate so much, the, yeah. the paltry social programs that are already paltry in the United States, they hate so much, is to make the image of the users of those programs as othered, as non-white as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you do that, it's like, oh, surprise, surprise, you know, support for these things among like poor people goes down. And to right. paint them as dirty, sick, and dangerous. I I mean, like, literally, when we made our shirts, one of the shirts designs that we did, like, appropriated... Is and, from the Chinese Exclusion yeah, Act period. Yeah. yeah, which says that, like, oh, immigrants from the East will come with, like, pauperism, disease, socialism, cholera, like, yeah. barbarism, whatever. Do you want to hear the original text that... Um, is quoted for the public charge rule, like the actual text of the bill. It's pretty funny. From the Chinese Exclusion Act? From the Immigration Act of uh, 1882. The following classes of aliens shall be excluded from admission to the United States. All idiots, insane persons, paupers, or persons likely to become a public charge, persons suffering from a loathsome or dangerous contagious disease, persons who have been convicted of a felony or infamous crime involving moral turpitude or polygamy. I mean, that all makes sense because basically if you just like ratchet up the like time travel calipers, uh, time travel like skull calipers to like present day, most of those terms just translate to the same shit that they're like trying to like stop people who would like need to use those public services yeah. from mm-hmm. doing now. I, I love that moral turpitude one because it's like if you just manage to like skate through like all the other ones, they can just that that one just like mm-hmm. comes and clotheslines <laughs> you like right at the fucking end. Im- immigration right. is a void comp test. Basically. <laughs> right. yes. So obviously this is not the current uh, criteria for the public charge rule and it has changed a couple times. Like the first time it was changed, uh, I think was in, like 1915 and they said, okay, like that frame, like we can't say because you're a poly- polygamist, you're yeah. not allowed in the country. So they redefined it as a public charge being it applies to those immigrants who by reason of poverty, insanity, disease, or disability would become a charge upon the public. And like every 10 to 15 years or so, that that sort of uh, description was like slightly altered and changed. Uh, but it all it did was just become more shaded. So by 1965, it's any alien who, in the opinion of the consular officer at the time of application for a visa or in the opinion of the attorney general at the time of application for admission or adjustment right. of status is likely at any time to become a public charge. But it all references back to the original intent, and that is to right. kick out whoever they want well and this is basically for whatever reason and this is basically functionally like one of those situations where the the very reason that they adopted this public charge rule to do what they wanted to do is because it's like you know it's like when they have a like a I don't know, a law on the books or something that says that you can't put a horse in a bathtub or something like that. Right. You know and what it, I mean? It, it honestly like reminds you, me too a little bit of like how <clears> you're all, they're also like labeling anyone who is rejected under the well, public charge as an aberration. Like when people pee in public mm-hmm. and then get put on a sex offender list. Yeah. I'm just saying that you're using and like 
they're using an antiquated rule to right. li- like that has been variously reinterpreted or just looked at as, you know, not relevant anymore. Yeah. Dusting over, it off. Over history. Like, yeah, dusting it off and just reapplying it again. So, so. you want to, the, the funniest thing to me about this, um, or the only thing about this that I found funny actually <laughs> was the Trump administration's reason that they stated as to why they needed the Supreme court to intervene and stop the injunction on applying this rule. They said that if, if they were prevented from doing this, it would effectively cause irreparable harm to them, (laughs) to the administration, which is like, (laughs) you didn't let us play with her ball. (laughs) Well, it reminds me of like a, you know, like the, uh, really disgusting sentiment of you can't cancel me. What about my, like, don't threaten my livelihood. Yeah. So what, I mean, actually, you know, speaking of SCOTUS, um, one of the things, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this specifically and that I, one of the things that is like to me the most like deeply depressing is, um, did, didn't, did any of you guys read the opinion? Oh yes. Oh my God. I did that. It was a terse. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- these kinds of opinions are different, right? They're like, they're not your normal, like 30, 40 page opinion. It's no. it's a short order. They're just denying the stay. And actually, mm-hmm. they don't even necessarily need to write for that long to do it. But, but yeah, Neil, Neil Gorsuch, he really um, did something special here. He yeah, Neil, our, our buddy, uh, friend of the pod, ice truck, Neil Gorsuch, um, Neil ice truck Gorsuch, he he decided that uh, it was basically okay. Let me <laughs> let me just like summarize and I'll read a little bit of this um, this uh, decision because to me, I mean, and maybe maybe I'm wrong and this isn't quite as like troublesome as I'm thinking, but this sounds very mm-hmm. troublesome to me. But, so basically, you know, he starts. He's you know, it's like the first maybe page or just half a page or something uh is like just a a summary of how the case wound its way through court and they say like we disagree essentially and then uh let me let me quote from the beginning of where it kind of turns and the subsequent maybe three and a half pages are all about this completely different idea so here here's neil quote if all of this is confusing the process Mm -hmm. wound its way through court uh don't worry because none of it matters uh because none of it matters much at this point Despite the fluid state of things, some interim wins for the government over here, some preliminary relief for plaintiffs over there, we now have an injunction to rule them all. This is weirdly full circle for us, I guess, because we started with the Lord of the Rings thing. Um, the one before You're us... You're all welcome. <laughs> ...in which a single judge in New York enjoined the government from applying the new definition to anyone without regard to geography or participation in this or any lawsuit. He basically uh, goes on to say... Uh, he, he starts talking about this like idea that basically quote, the real problem here is the increasingly common practice of trial courts ordering relief that transcends the concurring cases before them, whether framed as injunctions of quote nationwide universal or cosmic scope. These orders share the same basic flaw. They direct how they direct how the defendant must act toward persons who are not the parties to co- in the case. So mm-hmm. what he takes this from actually and his reference point yeah. is the the reference point that he uses actually uh concur- like throughout the um opinion is 
the uh, the situation from very early in the Trump uh, administration where Hawaii, I think what like federal like circuit judge Mm -hmm. blocked um, the immigration ban. And basically he spends these like three and a half pages saying that sooner or later, the Supreme Court will have to make a decision about whether judges like this can universally block policy. Yes. This is um, really like that's the it's not subtext. It's no, text. it's text. That's exactly yeah. the focus. And I think that's that's like a signal to the administration like, hey, wow. go for it, guys, but, because because all the thing is like bring me some the, precedent. <laughs> well, right. And this is the thing is that like the administration has if they've learned anything at all is that they've learned that worst case scenario, you do something you think is you actually know is illegal Worst case scenario is like it gets hung up in the courts for some time. It causes some confusion. And then in the end, the Supreme Court is your is your uncle. Right. And so this is really, really kind of saying floodgates floodgates might be opening here. This is literally a signal showing that, like, if, for example, like we started this conversation, for example, saying that, like, like, like Phil's wishing Phil's hoping like we're all hoping for a. a, like an injunction, an injunction on the snap, a nationwide decision, injunction on the right? snap, rule, right, right? Exactly. So no, like, I know. This is literally saying, and then you know, on top of it, to have them also basically say that like decisions like this and these types of like priorities by the administration, which are like clearly um, like about just baseless white supremacy, can then just be blanket applied to all the other cruelty that they're trying to do. Well, no, and then there's this subtext. We're well, not subtext, but like what this is like. If you listen to any like oral arguments, as I do, to fall asleep sometimes, like Gorsuch's is main. <laughs> His main like complaint, he's he's really annoying to listen to, but his like main complaint is like, uh, well, you know, the, you can't expect that we judges are going to get involved in political matters, right? Uh, like, what do you want us to constitutionalize here? What you're trying to bring your politics ball into our into our you know judicial uh, court? You you can't do that. And he's he's the sort of thing that he says is like you know well maybe this is just a sign of our impatient times that judges want to do this. But he he clearly has no problem at all uh, for his jurisprudence to be mostly about you know uh, sort of sanctifying the the values of the right but the yeah. way that this sort of a rhetorical structure is like set up is that like oh no you can't you can't make judging about politics as if it isn't as if it hasn't always been right <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i mean yeah, yeah. He, the other thing is like <laughs> well i don't know the other funny thing is that like if there was uh a democratic legislature say, but like all of the lower courts were conservative, he would be basically saying the opposite thing. Right. Like, you know, it it just has to do with the fact that like he and a bunch of conservatives sit at essentially the only like functional rulemaking body in America. And this is like, this is like the result of that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's a, in a way it's like a, um, not in a way. I mean, I think very directly it is the naked show of intending to secure more power because if essentially you're saying that for you know something to be universally prescriptive or something like the supreme court which is but like which has a conservative majority and is likely to be secured as a conservative majority for some time uh including and especially if someone like joe biden gets in the in the white house right like Mm -hmm. that essentially like it has to like redound to them to make any sort of like proclamation that could actually stop any sort of like incipient fascist public policy 
So right. anyway. Yeah, we're doing great, y'all. This is why I hate talking about the Supreme Court is because you get to the end of this fucking conversation then and it's like, we're all fucked. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, well, sorry. Maybe we just get rid of them. No, no, no. We're just going to add. We're just going to add more. <laughs> How many more would you add, Vince? A hundred. <laughs> Three hundred. No, I would add so many more that it would actually take an entire like presidency to find enough people qualified or like semi-qualified so that they couldn't add uh, as many as you've already added to the court. Let's just How many go people ahead. in the Glenn Bronca Guitar Orchestra? Like as many as that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like uh, I mean, why, one one justice for every member of polyphonic spree. Why, why stop there? Every resident of the United States Supreme Court justice. Du- done. Every one of them. Oh, done. wow. Oh, I already. Sign, oh, I love that. that amendment. Yeah. Talk about popular sovereignty. We're all, right. all SCOTUS. Yeah, but then we, have to, oh, then we have to do like a big, <laughs> then we're going to have to do like big get out the vote efforts for like SCOTUS rulings. And that's just going to be a pain in the ass. And then, I don't know about and then that. Who, for Brexit. And then who gets to... Well, and then who gets to write the opinion, you know? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we crowdfund them on Wikipedia. It's great. Yeah. It's a change.org petition. Oh, Lord. We'll vote in change.org votes from now on on Facebook. Oh, God. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> what do we want to move on to? Well, it's funny that we went through all that horrible Trump administration news and then like if you actually like I don't like we're gonna get off of this and we shouldn't like talk about the Trump administration <laughs> as much as possible any any anymore for the rest of this episode however I will say that it's incredibly fucked up that we talked at such length about all of those things and we didn't even t- we have not even on the podcast had a chance to touch or remark on yet the fact that like basically clean water protections in like in toto are like gone um it's now, like we can't we even need a daily two-hour podcast to keep up with the shit that they're doing while the impeachment is distracting everyone subscribe to our patreon folks anyway oh. um, <laughs> let's uh, well and you can spend every day with us doing medicare for all week God. uh so what do we want to move on to well that was supposed to be our first topic and uh, i think that's going to be our main thing. that's our episode pretty much <laughs> yeah um, so we can either talk about the uh, front group against Sanders backed by a consultant for multiple healthcare industry and health insurance groups or uh, some fuckery at the DNC. I mean, all um, these things kind of go together. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good it's a good uh, uh, pe- peanut butter jelly. Yeah, no, I mean, I think these are like basically the same thing. I mean, for example, you know, we had joked earlier that like Phil's going to Iowa. Not joked. I mean, that, that we did joke about it, but like he is. <laughs> no, Phil's actually going to Iowa, people. Um, but you know, the, the I mean, the it's just like, a green screen. The entire like conversation has really shifted over the last week or two. We've had you know our your frums and your chates have like switched from saying that there are weapons of mass destruction to now sitting from their uh, respectable somehow seats in mm-hmm. the commentariat. They're, you know, saying like Sanders can't win. Bas- basically, I feel like since Sanders has now gotten to a point where he like, you know, the, I don't know. Like can the polls win? Are, well, I mean, he was always basically going to be like, he was always able to win, but I'm just saying that like since the, since the polls have started like looking a lot more great to people like us and horrifying to people like Jonathan Chait, <laughs> you know, the I feel like the knives are starting to come out, but it's like no one can like no it's like everyone's trying to uh take 
him down, but like no one knows what they're doing at all. Can I? Yeah, can I, I bet you also can't register an LLC that's like for Israel anymore because they've probably all been taken up by like DNC <laughs> operatives who are like creating whatever LLC for Israel to yeah. like attack the first Jewish potential first Jewish nominee for president. Yeah. Can I can I just make like an analogy that like may just seem obvious, but like mm -hmm. they all didn't take Trump seriously until they really took Trump seriously. And like no one could figure out how to fuck him over either. Like I, I like that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like the the problem with that line of argument is that actually plays directly into the hands of yeah. One of the main liberal talking points right now, which is Bernie, Bernie Sanders is, is the Trump of the left and will destroy democracy or something. <sighs> but so no. like, you know what? Like, uh, no, but no, 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 no. But but <clears throat> if he's the Trump of the left, he will bring democracy. Right. right? But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just it's too it's too freight it's too freighted. You could say yeah, destroy democracy as freighted. they understand it. So are you I mean, basically saying that that Trump and uh, Bernie are like ice and fire, and they will have six or eight seasons of I some wanna, prestige television show, or is this real life? I wait, wait. Well, it's definitely not real life. We're we're well past that. B. I think I think. <laughs> We started a podcast I mean, I just, a year ago. I just, I just think I'm trying to think about what the function of these pieces is. So, like, here's here's I like this is this whole thing. Everybody retweeting, retweeting. Like, I'm just like, but what's the point of this? So, so if 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 a Sanders supporter, somebody who's like, you know, if if a Michael Lighty came out and wrote an article that was like Sanders can't win, and here's why, right. that would be mm -hmm. that would be interesting because that's counterintuitive. That's right. that's Mike Michael saying something that really doesn't make a lot of sense from both of these guys. What's the function of this? Because no one like this is the, this, the level of self-interest, naked self-interest mm -hmm. in saying this is obvious, right? Uh, this is wishful thinking of, of a sort or, or wish fulfillment desires and dreams of a sort. Uh, so like, what's the point of this? Like, what is a bedtime story for liberals? Is that <laughs> like, I, I really struggled to understand what the point of these sorts of uh, think pieces is like genuinely, I don't know. Like it's, it's just something for people to share. Like what, what exactly are you hoping to accomplish with this? I mean, in, in some ways it kind of like, it like inoculates uh, Bernie against like, you know, increased resistance to like his grassroots efforts. Right. Because if like, all of the like, you know, kind of like wealthy, like middle-aged liberals who like, you know, would be either maxing out donations against him or campaigning for somebody else are convinced that actually he can't win. Then like, you know, yeah. then like yeah. he probably like isn't going to have as much uh, primary opposition. Well, right. And I, and I think know? it's, well, it's interesting because I, th I think maybe like one function of these sorts of these, these sorts of takes is to like, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe just like poison the well a little bit for, for sort of marginal, marginal voters or voters who are like mm -hmm. sort of undecided that they're sort of like, um, you know, the, your Iowa voter who's just like scrolling through like the more blips of negative coverage you see, maybe that's the, the strategy is, is one of a composite rather than an individual contribution. They're just right, adding their voices cuts. to the rather unheavenly chorus of uh, bad punditocracy, right? That, right, that, right? that might be a, that might, that might actually help me make sense of it. Right. Yeah. But, but I, I don't know, but if, if, 
if all of these critiques amount to like we're a bunch of fucking whiny babies, like and and they don't really nail Sanders with anything, right? Like they haven't been able to figure out an attack that actually sticks to him for more than like a day or two. But but you know, if all of these little sort of like what would you, how would you describe the tone of all of these fucking articles? Like just like <laughs> uh, snide and like and indignantly like, entitled. Yeah, exactly. If all of these like articles yeah. like really amount to nothing, uh, like substantive, you know, like I don't. Oh, I, don't I mean, really of course they don't. Yeah, and of course the the I mean the point wasn't to talk about like from and Chait necessarily, but it's just like sure. First, I feel like uh, these things manifested as this like uh, like mostly blackout or whatever of the idea of mm-hmm. like the the campaign, and now it really is just this like I mean you're I think ultimately what it is is you're going to see the continued coordinated like apparatus of the of like the media and all the like all the people who like again like yes the frums and the chates but also like a bunch of people who you know still actually work in non like opinion shithead uh politics land or whatever like near yeah. a or something yeah. just like continue to use all the same lines um that they basically have been mm-hmm. how to put it try trying to like get ahead of people's uh, people getting an impression i think of uh, Bernie Sanders or the Sanders campaign or whatever. Like, I mean, think of like the, uh, I think of the, <clears throat> the uh, New York times piece that came out like a week ago that was like Bernie and his internet army or whatever. Um, which is, yeah, I which love that. So silly. It's like, uh, wow. Yeah. It really, really sucks that there are a bunch of people online who are really excited about a democratic candidate for president. You definitely got to do something about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> come on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of my, one of my challenges is like, I have this knee jerk built in assumption where I, when somebody writes something that looks like an argument, my brain switches into try to understand what they're saying. And like, you know, see, assume that there's some like logic and rationality to it, but that is obviously not serving me at all here. But like the only thing (laughs) that people have said that is like, okay, check has some (laughs) resonance is that like Bernie doesn't have a lot of support from traditional party insiders and activists, right? Mm -hmm. That's the big, if you want to make a, if you want to make a critique or say something that's sort of like empirical about a characteristic of the candidate and the campaign, that would be a true thing to say. Correct. Now the question that now the implication from that is that that creates problems for coalition building and governance, like both pre and mm-hmm. post, like best case scenario, he's like, you know, won the election. Now, the problem I have with that is one, it completely ignores the reality of the nascent social movement that's building in the United States. You have yeah. to ignore like for that to be a problem, you have to ignore social demands, which if you only pay attention to what is going on in the endogenous like world of the party, <laughs> you will you will invariably do. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of like one thing that I would have hoped that like political discourse by this time in our country's history in like 2020, four years after 2016, we would have Mm -hmm. realized the importance of the social and like bringing that (laughs) back in to our analysis of things. That's that's one common thread in these takes. There are good ones. There are good takes out there, too, that are critical of Sanders that I think are we should all read probably. But like 
they're just not thinking about the social. They're not thinking about social movements. They're not thinking about what goes on outside of the very Tony world of parties. Right. Which is, which is why again, like, I don't, I don't think it like makes, I think so many of those like takes or whatever that are out there are very funny and actually mostly harmless, or if anything are actually probably just going to like help because for certain people, if like, like David Frum is an obvious example, but also for like other certain people in like, uh, like Clinton orbit or something, if they don't like, or are scared by the prospect of a Bernie Sanders presidency, I'm like, okay, good. So that's, yeah, that actually kind of reinforces, you know, you're like, they're yeah, doing, doing their job, right? right. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think that like where it does really manifest and this is what, you know, maybe it's better to talk about some of the stuff, uh, like more actually like substantive knives that are out like the uh the list that came out this week of tom perez's uh tom perez who famously in the his top 10 for 2020 right yeah um but like yeah top top uh tom perez's um dnc list which is literally just filled with like lifers and people who are completely like the 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 literal uh embodiment of the democratic establishment that is against things like movement building and understands oh, yeah. the right. uh the like action of politics to happen in like a corporate boardroom or a charity check or something yeah it's star studded with all of the stars you really don't love to see yeah who's coming down the runway now b <laughs> <laughs> it's barney frank oh. in Dolce and Gabbana. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, wasn't Dolce and Gabbana canceled? Maybe. Yeah, it that's why him. I said Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, it's Alex Padilla, who's been accused of suppressing progressive independent voters in California. Hell yeah! He's wearing the Balenciaga baklava that has a racist uh, Jimbo face on it. Oh my god. <laughs> Fashion is just as bad. It uh, is, and I love it still. Um, do they, I love uh, watching it. Some of these people probably own fashion companies. I Tea. mean, I'm sure that John Galliano would have a lot in common with President Trump. They're basically the same person. Just one of them got caught in Paris for saying anti- anti-Semitic stuff on camera, and the other one's president. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and the other one is John Galliano. <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyways um, yeah yeah so dnc committee chair or dnc chair sorry that was like redundant atm machine dnc chair tom perez uh selected his nominees for the 2020 uh convention committees which these are people who are like these are people who like oversee the they, it's essentially the administration like the committee that it. oversees like the process of the right so there's like happening. people that would be like co-chairing it vice chairing it but then there's also people who are like sort of in charge of like the platform or the credentials or the rules so they're going to sort of set the parameters that everyone's going to be able to work within so he's stacked this with um a bunch of party loyalists who most of whom i think all of them actually are publicly opposed to a progressive agenda and they're going right. to be making the rules for the procedure and the way the committee uh, is going to run the convention in June in Milwaukee. Yeah. Right. So in a way it's like, we're playing them in a game of football, but they're setting the rules. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, and that in a way is sort of how you would expect it to be. I would, this is actually sort of, it's not necessarily like you're, we're going to read some of the names of the people and, and like, you're going to hear some like things that will not surprise you. Right. Um, but I think what this suggests to me is just like, we need to think very carefully about how this is going to work 
and who these people are and what they're going to have the power to do at the convention because they this is this is power that they have and there's not necessarily like an institutional and sort of institutionalized quote unquote Sanders wing of the party who is also like right. within the party to sort of counterbalance right i think that's right. one There's of the no sort of Tony structural <laughs> issues yes yeah so so there are people who are setting like who are in leadership positions in this committee uh in these committees rather um who have deep ties to private insurance surprise yeah. surprise it is filled with people who are like you know, former Obama chief of staff. Literal lobbyists. Yeah, literal lobbyists. People who've worked with like Boeing and Microsoft and, you know, McKinsey. And it's just, uh, and John Podesta and Barney Frank and people who are corporate secretaries for Blue Cross Blue Shield. It's like absolutely wild. Um, yeah, and I mean, and to the extent that this this you know the rules committee has power over things like delegate credentialing, um, you know wh- whether or not you get a seat uh, as mm-hmm. a delegate, for example, right. yes. um, uh, there would be you know codifying the the platform, uh, managing the procedures on on how votes are taken and when votes mm-hmm. are called, those sorts of things. I mean, those are the kind of things that you know if the the selection of the the nominee is a fait accompli going in, not a big deal, right? Not necessarily. However, if it's close as it very well may, may be, or even if there's a fait fait accompli, right? Um, Mm -hmm. There's, there's a huge capacity for, for these individuals to make very important decisions that cut out a, a lot of people who are delegates from States that, you know, Sanders won. Yep. Right. And what, like some of my least favorite people are in there, like Jake Sullivan, who used to work for Biden and worked for Hillary in Oof. 2008 and 2016, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got people like, what's her name? Danielle Gray, who is the current senior vice president and chief legal officer for Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina. <laughs> She is cool. also a former Obama administration official, but before that, she was at a New York law firm where she advised healthcare companies on financial services. Oh my so God. she's going to be deciding uh, whether, yeah, credentials. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Cool. Former, cool. former Senator Heidi Heitkamp, uh-huh. uh, who is now on the board of the John McCain Institute. Um, <laughs> she was reaching across the aisle. Yeah. She was, I was going to say she was barely a fucking Democrat to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but that, and, and that's exactly their type of Democrat, you know? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's also just wild to note that literally amongst all of these people, there's one Sanders supporter. Yeah. yeah. And then Charlie King, people in New York might know Charlie King, um, one of the architects, I think, of the IDC, if I recall correctly. He's a mm-hmm. lobbyist and a very, very close ally of Andrew Cuomo. Um, he is also a Democratic superdelegate for 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, and he's the executive director of the New York State Democratic Party. Sorry, that's why people might know him is because he's like responsible for all of the fuckery that went on in Queens. Mm. This is great. Yep. Yeah. So anyone else that's fun? uh, Well, just, you know, just putting a pin in that basically. I guess this is like, going to be a, this is our new monitoring project. We're going to create a spreadsheet of all of these people and we're going to learn <laughs> them and learn everything about there is to know about them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of pro-Israel people in here, too. And that might be a good way to tra- transition into talking about the pack buying the negative ad against Bernie saying oh, that yeah. he's like mm-hmm. got a heart attack or yeah. going to have a heart attack any moment. We can, basically. Yeah, we can talk about that. Okay, so like, and speaking of Israel, a consultant for health insurance and pharmaceutical interests backed by or like behind the cover of a front group that's called Democratic Majority for Israel took out an attack ad against uh, Sanders in Iowa, um, basically implying that, among other things, Sanders was going to drop dead of a heart attack at any moment and have another one Um, that, you know, Iowa's good American country and they won't go for socialism or something. Yeah, I like Bernie. I think he's got great ideas. But, you know, Iowa, they're just not going to vote for a socialist. Bernie Mm -hmm. can't beat Trump. I'm concerned about Bernie Sanders considering he had a heart attack. I mean, like this. Yeah, uh, like the ad itself is like really... I mean, it, it's actually incredibly pedestrian, mm-hmm. not very, I think, important or persuasive, it frankly. It seems like yeah. a waste of money. Really, he raised so much money as a result of it, too. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a reach. I do think, though, that the, like, the thing that is worth mentioning here is that it is literally largely backed by someone who is a consultant for health insurers. Right. They're using like, Israel um, to attack yeah. Medicare for all. So, like, the person in charge of Democratic Majority for Israel, literally, like, you can just go and see his... Uh, like, you can see the client <laughs> list of the company that he heads, the Melman Group. And it's like, okay, so here's his corporate client list. Aetna. American Aetna, Bankers Cross, Association. Yeah, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Fannie Mae, Genentech, uh, Pharma, like PHRMA, uh, which is itself like, you know, big lobbying force. And then if you go to, if you look at their, you know, quote unquote, nonprofits group, it's a lot of the people who are actually members of Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, the mm. like dark money group. So yeah. mm-hmm. like like Alliance for Managed Care. Alliance for Managed Care. Uh, I knew uh, they'd American be on Cancer there. Society. I don't know. Again, I guess the theme of this episode is mask off. I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, you know <laughs> uh, what it's a very lot, obvious you, what's you, happening here. Like Alliance for Managed Care is a um it is like a advocacy group that basically like advocates, I if I remember correctly, for like uh for-profit drug rehabilitation treatment centers, mm-hmm. which if you just like Google any of them, you'll see like dozens of stories about how these companies sort of popped up in amidst the opioid crisis in order to like extract capital from insurance companies at the cost of patients' well-being and like ability to even seek treatment, mm-hmm. you know, with many right. patients even having to go and pay out of pocket or crowdfund or their parents mortgage their home or their partner mortgage mortgages their home or whatever they sell their car. And so, you know, it's like they're just uh they're all really scared. I guess maybe we could take this as a good sign. Yeah. Um but I and- also think it's 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 worth taking it for what it is as well, which is one thing and it's like a totemic truth that circles around this group of people, which is if you, the, the real belief is that you can shape what people think is inevitable. I think, I think mm-hmm. that that sense of inevitability and fate is generally when people think about politics. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, uh, well, you know, if, you know, if Trump loses like fingers crossed, right. I hope to God, et cetera. Like if you can, get people thinking about what's already inevitably going to happen or like what is already inevitably Mm -hmm. like possible. Like that's, that's the thing. Is it like, if this, this, you know, it's just sort of, uh, one, one thing is like, yes, mask off, but it's also like, 
realize mm-hmm. that you don't have to pay attention to this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not actually that imp- like you can continue to like proceed on and make reality happen. Well, uh, and that, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense because like the I the other thing that I double checked. Yes, I was correct. The other thing that Alliance for Managed Care represents is uh, long term care organizations who uh, have Medicaid and me- Medicare contracts to house adults with developmental disabilities. Yeah. Mm. So Medicare for all offers like priority community and home based long term care. Not institutional long-term care where the government's paying per head to a private institution, which essentially operates like similar to the for-profit prison industry. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious why all these people are fucking here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) They're all like scared shitless. You would think that they would like hide it a little more, like put a couple LLCs in between, right? Yeah, but they know that you know somebody like like somebody at ProPublica is going to like uh you know just like tunnel down through all of those LLCs so they're just sort of like why actually fucking bother well and uh, I think Sanders raised like 1.3 million dollars after they sent out a round of emails being like look at this ridiculous ad um so it was a great fundraising tactic for tight <laughs> uh you said you had a surprise for us Artie I do. I'm scared. I'm um, really scared. So should I tell the the listeners how you told us you had a surprise? Oh, sure. If you it want. said topic dash redacted. I have a surprise. Just want to say in advance. I'm so <sighs> sorry. <laughs> Malevolent. Yeah. Malevolent, I, am, dude. Sorry. I don't know what's I like made already promise. He Chaos, wouldn't tell Muppet. me. This is, yeah. None um, of us have any idea what we're about to hear. Well, just, okay. So let me, uh, I guess, let me back up. We talked a little bit ago, I think really briefly, about um, uh-huh. how, you know, I, I regret to inform you uh, guys and you, the listener, <laughs> um, that uh, our old friend Charles Murray uh, has a new book out. Yep. Yeah. Um, Very excited. Can't wait to read. It's called Human God. Diversity. Uh, we came will out not today, be right? reading it. It came out. Uh, yeah, it came out like today or yesterday or something like that. Um, and I wasn't about to get uh, the like get the book itself. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do that to myself, and I'm certainly not going to like give uh, the clicks for that. I guess. However, um, I did notice that uh, Chucky went on Quillette's podcast. Noted oh, my God. Phrenology and Race Science blog Quillette. Um, cool. And I thought that I would share at least one thing with you. Maybe more. What does Quillette even mean? I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, like Knights of the White Camellia. It doesn't like mean anything, but <laughs> it just sounds fancy and old. So, you know, obviously we know that like there, uh, Charles Murray has a long history of talking about the genetics of class, Mm -hmm. obviously uh, the genetics of, you know, a whole bunch of other different factors using it to espouse a bunch of like right wing viewpoints. Um, But just wanted just wanted to uh, share this little snippet with you guys. When Adam Smith famously said that probably the difference between a philosopher and a street porter was more a matter of customs and education than of nature. And I always sort of thought that he must have been right, that most people who are capable of being philosophers were farmers and housewives and porters. To the extent you have had 
not much change in social mobility, it forces us to say, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> it does force us to say that and, and to start examining people's craniums again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like we should have a national program where everyone is measured so that they can be assigned <laughs> to their proper biological use case. Just to be clear here, though, he's essentially saying that, you know, he like, oh, I would be inclined to believe as, you know, Adam Smith, quote unquote, would say um, that that like class would not be a genetically inherited thing mm-hmm. that like yeah. that we, you'd have like equal opportunity to advance or whatever right. in your status. Um However, mm. considering that class has persisted over hundreds of years, yeah, <laughs> like maybe it is genetic as opposed to oh well, maybe like maybe those <laughs> systems are, are like completely consistent over a period of history. Yeah. Actually, I, anyway. maybe once you get that ball rolling, it uh, continues to roll. Ba- basically, like, like Charles Murray saw the movie Trading Places in the eighties and like thought that the bet. <laughs> He thought that the that bet between the two old guys Texas, in the movie yeah. is like, why right. is this my career, you know? Yeah, it really is. He's he's just going to, he is going to prove everything from that movie, uh, I guess, wrong, technically. It turns out that yeah, it's basically. all... Turns out that turn- solidarity and solidarity makes it easier to fuck over capitalists. Well, yeah. May- maybe Surprise. Just, yeah, maybe he just didn't see the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably yeah, not. Quite possibly. That makes sense. <laughs> he probably, yeah, he probably just got to the part where, uh, you know, the like old smart men don't need to see the end of the movie. What is it yeah. like the beginning? There's like some cop who just like yells at Eddie Murphy to like get out of a park and start stop impersonating like a disabled veteran or something. Like he probably just saw that and he was like, "Oh, this He's is like, a great movie." Yeah, like, yeah. He's like, "I know I how learned it everything. ends." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, obviously, race science. Yeah. I mean, I know it's uh, like how to put, it's not as incendiary of a of a surprise as you would think, I guess. But uh, let me let me maybe do one one uh, one other clip, I guess, just to show you where oh, he's at God. on uh, gender difference oh, in the year cool. two thousand twenty. <laughs> cool, great. So let's take something as like women in combat. Well. There is no reason that a woman cannot be as an effective member of a combat missile firing team on a U.S. Navy ship Uh as a man can be. There are a variety of reasons why you don't want to make a woman part of a frontline infantry platoon in combat. And those reasons go to uh, physical differences, upper body strength, but it also goes to things like... Here comes... (laughs) enthusiasm for physical combat oh. uh, in which there is a sex difference is probably grounded in biology uh-huh probably really, I just Charlie? Love he, sne- he just sneaks in a probably there yeah <laughs> just, i mean it's probably but, right i'm probably right <laughs> <laughs> enthusiasm for physical combat enthusiasm Laugh for physical combat. Anyway, uh-huh. not, maybe not so funny sorry i can't believe anyway. this is, i can't no, no, this is like this i can't is believe bar pickup line yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I can't believe you for act- physical combat. Do you have <laughs> enthusiasm for physical combat? Oh, ew, the idea of just imagine a, meeting him at a bar. I know, the idea of being like cuz I don't I think I know what he like I don't know if I know what he looks like well enough to be like in like a dark bar. He looks like a race scientist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Bow tie yeah. the whole thing. But like basically. Mm-hmm. Ugh, he yeah. 
I'm actually just shocked that he didn't literally say period. I, same, actually, true. a little same because it is the Quillette podcast. Well, but that, I mean, yeah. that's the thing, right? These like these figures have to kind of like he he operates in this uh, in this sphere. Um, I mean, not unlike a lot of like basically anyone who's like I don't know a canceled comedian or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is just like, well, I don't know. I'm just saying I'm saying common sense stuff, and uh, I'm just I'm just reporting the facts out here, people. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, it's controversial or whatever. Um, whereas yeah. facts don't care about your feelings. Like his his uh, I don't know. Like the the way that these ideas are weaponized are essentially always under the pretense of civility actually so it's like you know i mean yeah to draw it back to i guess david Fromm or something i mean <laughs> <the same> idea. <laughs> everything comes back to david Fromm at the end right yeah. no but i mean anyway. it also comes back to the public charge rule and like this it, you mm-hmm. know you don't all of these things don't have to go together for them to be instrumentalizable as a as an ensemble like yeah. that's the thing is that like and also no one really has to take charles murray seriously uh, or listen to him uh, in in great number for him to be influential. Uh, right. You just sort of this this ensemble of things just needs to be able to come alive. You have to have the injunction of civility to make that possible. To make the the sort of idea that, like these are even remotely acceptable uh, right. idea ideas to bring about in in twenty twenty. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. Well, civility anyway. is just gaslighting. <sighs> I realized I hadn't really heard Charles Murray's vice before, and I don't really ever want to hear it again. Okay. It's my last comment. He sounds like so many people I know, though. You know, it's just like, you know, at the bar at a conference, there's you're going to run into people who talk like that, and it's just... I don't... Yeah, I'm maybe disabled. That's the thing, I don't go to the yeah. bar at a conference, so I, uh, I haven't had that experience. <laughs> don't ever, then. I go to the, the disability conference at my... Uh, Infusion Center, sure. I guess. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, anyway. yeah. Probably Ooh. not a lot of people who talk like that there. Uh, well, thank God. Thank yeah. God. I think, well, I don't know. We're Everyone gets sick, right? That's why we need Medicare for All. And I think we're kind of probably coming up on time. Yeah. Um, if you like the show, please consider supporting our work and becoming a Patreon supporter of the podcast. Um, you get an extra episode every week. You get access to premium patron-only channels in our Discord, and you get our eternal gratitude. Um, But for real, we're really excited about Medicare for All Week. It has been a huge amount of work that we are very happy to do, and we hope that you tune in and tell your friends and leave us all these amazing ratings about how much you love Medicare for All Week and how excited you are, right? And um, the next time that you'll be hearing us will be uh, day one of Medicare for All Week. So get excited. And um, the primary. Yes, that too. Also Iowa. So, you know, if you're a patron, there will be a regular uh, episode. Your regular Patreon episode will come out next week. It's just going to be a little off schedule. Um, we're going to do it after Iowa. And it might be a little late if we're super depressed. But, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. For patrons, the podcast comes out somewhere between like Sunday evening and like Monday evening or Tuesday morning, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be... Yeah, it it won't it, like we'll have a patron episode during Medicare for all week, but it'll be sometime in like the middle of the week, probably. Yes. Thank so, you, Marty. Anyway. Um, do do your best to stay alive until the next uh, until the end of Medicare for all week. Yep. We're out, people. Right? That's it. <laughs> <laughs>